Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. So, picture this. Okay. It's 1896. You are a wealthy, powerful, well-respected businessman living in the American West. Perhaps you've made your fortune in gold. Perhaps you're a banker. Do I have really good facial hair? (laughs) Probably. Okay. You're looking for a good time. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, if it's 1896 and you are in the Western United States, you want to be at Pearl DeVere's Old Homestead in Cripple Creek, Colorado. I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Her Name? No one has heard of this now. I would guarantee that probably almost none of our listeners have heard of Pearl DeVere. I have never heard of her. At this point in American history, she is the most famous madam in the United States. Now, Pearl DeVere was outstanding at her job. She not only ran her house, she owned her house, which was extremely unusual. Usually, brothels were owned by men and run by women. She owned her own parlor house, as it was called, and was well known not only for her own beauty, but for the exceptional quality of everything in her house. The food, the music, the company, the other men, and of course, the women. And if you were anywhere within reach of Colorado, you would make your way to Cripple Creek to pay a visit to Pearl. Like a pilgrimage. You were making a special trip to this special place. She is described over and over again as a striking woman. She, in my opinion, was one of the most brilliant businesswomen that I have ever read about in American history. The way she ran her business is really amazing to me. I'm, I'm... Deeply impressed by Pearl DeVere. Hmm. So this interview that I'm going to play you was recorded at Pearl's Brothel, which has been turned into a museum called the Old Homestead. Um, My name is Charlotte Bumgarner. We're at the Old Homestead House in Cripple Creek, Colorado, the home that Pearl built. Charlotte Bumgarner is the curator, the president, the savior of the museum. And I think you'll be able to hear in her voice throughout this interview how much she loves this house and how much she loves Pearl herself. She talks about her not like this interesting distant historical figure, like like someone who she has known and loved dearly. And it, it brings a different feeling to this museum than I think what you would expect visiting a brothel museum. So we don't know a whole lot about Pearl, but Charlotte has tracked down some information. Well, she's kind of elusive. She hasn't given us all of her secrets, but what we do know is she was born in Indiana. She came to Denver first and was a prostitute in Denver. I think I found recently part of the reason she became a prostitute and moved is because she had a baby, Mm. and that would have been a real no-no back then. She's recorded to be in Denver under the name of Mrs. Ed Martin, but there's no proof she ever married Ed Martin. I believe that's because when a woman moved to a new town with a baby. She said she was a widow and called herself Mrs. Something. Right. But I don't know much else about her, unfortunately, other than I love her. 
She still is a presence in this house. She tells me things once in a while. Hmm. But other than that, I, I just know that she was very beautiful, very loving, and very giving. In 1891, gold was discovered here in Cripple Creek. And so she ended up here, we believe, in the winter of 1892, the best we can tell, and had a house of prostitution here on the lot where we sit now. It burnt down in 1896, and she rebuilt the house we're sitting in that fall in 1896. So this fire that she mentions... It isn't just Pearl's Brothel that burns down. It's all of Cripple Creek. There's a really good little pamphlet for sale in the museum that describes what happened. Um, I don't know if this is true, but it's delightful that uh, on April 25th, 1896, one of the girls from the Central Dance Hall got into a fight with her man and knocked over a gasoline stove. So that fire goes from the dance hall, leaps from building to building. These are all wooden buildings in this quickly built gold rush town and burns down all of Myers Avenue. So all of the red light district, all of the bars and saloons and dance halls, anything sinful is gone. Whoa. Overnight. And perhaps the town was excited about this, except four days later, another fire starts and all of town that is left is burned to the ground. So Bennett Street, the main avenue, the stock market, everything, is gone. There are a few buildings left in the main part of town, um, fire damaged. Everything's gone. We have some amazing pictures that I'll put on the website of, of this complete decimation of the town in four days. Half of the town is homeless. So that seems amazing that a town would bounce back from that, but they were, they just jumped right back in and they said in two weeks, most of the red light district was up and running again <laughs> in temporary structures. Pearl took that opportunity to upgrade her establishment. She went to Europe to pick up new business tips. Comes back. Wow. And I mean, that seems just really surprisingly kind of uh, cosmopolitan. Yeah. Approach. I mean, she, she was, you know, she was from this well-to-do background. She, she was able to be classy and elegant. Mm. Her establishment caters only to the wealthiest and best of men. You can't just walk in. You know, the fire was in April. She traveled to Europe, you know, while before she got the house built mm. and bought a lot of the furnishings over there and shipped them here. And we do have a very interesting room upstairs. It was the viewing room where the gentleman could pick their final girl. Right. And she's seen that in France. And oh. that's the reason she built it in her house. I wondered about that because I've never seen that in an American parlor house right, before. Yeah. So she did all the really neat things. Yeah. No wonder the men wanted to be. Right. It's very European. Yeah. And I think we had a cook that was supposedly fabulous, known for having, you know, the best champagnes and the best liquor around. Right. She did not spare expense for her men either. Uh, but of course, they were required to pay extra to drink here and gamble here. Oh, really? Oh, that's an extra. <laughs> an extra, extra fee You know, again. The good business one. Right, of course. The front of the house has a very rare white brick. Not painted white. It's not I mean, painted white. Oh, well, I thought it was painted. It is painted white, yeah. but it's white under there. White it under was there. originally white. Why somebody painted it, I don't know, but to take paint off of brick is kind of hard. Oh, so. yeah. So it's a really distinctive right. building, too. So next door now is a casino, which doesn't look original. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. It was built in 1992. Yeah. So, so what would have been next door? More parlor yeah, houses? Yeah, more parlor houses. 
there was five city blocks, but it looks like the more richer ones, the more elegant ones, because in the echelon of prostitution mm -hmm. parlor houses, which this is a parlor house, right is the higher echelon. There was six of those in this town. If you see a picture of the street, they were really crammed together. They would have been bundled up to each other. Mm. Women back then sent their men down here after they'd had a baby or two. Right. And good women didn't use birth control. Right. So. Well, and at least here, um, there was a doctor, right? And the girls were seeing a doctor. Well, all the and... girls on this street, we, like I said, we had 350 of them. So, oh. you know, is at our highest number, were required to go once a month to a doctor and take that health certificate to the city hall and buy a license. So it was a, a legalized yes. prostitution? Well, situation. it wasn't legalized. The license was actually a fine, but the city controlled it, I guess yeah. you would say, because they tried to chase the girls away and that didn't work. Right. So it's a fine that's actually right. a license. Yeah. We don't mind as long as we're making money off right. it, too. Yeah. We had girls down the street that were low as a quarter. So oh. that's where the miners oh. were. And I think we probably had every price range in between. Right. You There'd be somebody to fill every yeah. market. Yeah. Um, and you said the Opera House was yes. across the street, and it's not here anymore. Unfortunately, it got torn down in the 40s. It was large enough they held the first indoor rodeo in it. <laughs> um, in the... <laughs> yeah. It was in the a, Opera House? In the Opera House. I just wish I was here back then so I could have saved more buildings. Yeah. Um... I saved this one. So when Charlotte says she saved that house, she's not exaggerating. When the house was made into a museum, there were some irregularities in the paperwork and that made it possible for a casino that was next door to buy the museum with the promise that they would keep it as a museum and not touch it, which they didn't do. They kept threatening to take it over. They used a few of the back rooms of the museum for quite a while as office space. Uh, they used some of the furniture. So Charlotte was in this sort of battle with this casino to try to save the house. And she finally prevailed, but the energy that she has put into saving not only this museum, but into drawing attention to Cripple Creek, trying to restore it, trying to bring visitors to the city is really amazing. It's been a museum, and part of the reason I think it's been saved, because it's been a museum since 1958. We'll mm. be celebrating 60 years this next year as a museum. It was about 18 years of struggle, because we ended up being owned by a casino, and they kept threatening, but... Six ladies here in town uh, hmm. formed a nonprofit to, to save it, and uh, I'm the only one original from that six, and but we're still saving it. It is now owned by the nonprofit. Hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful home. Wish more people would come see it. We don't have the visitation we need. I mean, I've seen a lot of historic home kind of museums, but this is really beautifully done. You can tell it's done with loving care. Right. <laughs> and you mentioned right. you just found the original wall right. color in the, yeah, in the, the front fr parlor. Our, you know, out of tragedy, because we had a, a radiator break and flood the front parlor mm. where the girls met the gentlemen every evening. Mm. It flooded, took some of the old wallpaper, which we knew was from the 50s off, and down through all the layers, we came up with the original color and stenciling in that room. So it's 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 actually very fabulous, and I can't wait to do some more of the rooms. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's a very trendy color right now. So right. <laughs> Apple well, green. When the lady who redid the uh, stencil for us, she goes, This is really fashion forward. Pearl was ahead of her time. Now, Cripple Creek itself is really interesting. I think um, some people know Cripple Creek from the song. I had only ever heard the song and didn't realize it was a real place.
It's a gold mine town that started just as gold fever is starting to peter out in the rest of the country. Everybody's giving up. Gold is discovered in Cripple Creek, and people who are still hopeful that something can happen all rush to Cripple Creek, way up in the mountains all by itself, to try to get a piece of the action. At its heyday, Cripple Creek was the financial capital of the country. Really? Yeah, I know. How have we known? Like, how is this possible? Because of the gold? Because of the gold. I was reading the plaque up there on the building that 20 million shares of mine stock traded every year on the stock exchange here. That's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Well, my next mission in life is to get Cripple Creek more on the map because people do not realize that there was more gold taken out of Cripple Creek than Alaska and California's gold rushes combined. What? Yeah. Wow. And I just learned this year that there wasn't a single millionaire out of California's gold rush. Wow. That actually made it from gold. We had at least 24. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, the running joke that's actually true is that the miners didn't make any money. The people who sold them the shovels made the money. But here they were actually making money. Right. Wow. You know, whenever I mentioned Cripple Creek to people, they said, I thought Cripple Creek was in Appalachia. Like, everyone knows, I think, the song. Right. And somehow feels like that should be in Appalachia. Now, we're at 10,000 feet up here in Colorado Rockies. Yeah. And we were the greatest gold rush of them all. But most people don't know that. If you really look back in history, we were the financial center of the U.S. Yeah, because they found gold here sort of toward the end of the gold rush, right? Right. It was everyone had burned out. Yeah, everybody else had burned out. Yeah, we were 1891 when the rush started. Bob had found it earlier, but nobody believed him. And how long... How... How long did Cripple Creek continue to be an important Till about 1916. That's when gold prices were dropped, so Mm. they couldn't afford to mine anymore. And our gold is different than anywhere else in the world. It it has vertical veins instead of horizontal veins, and it looks different than anywhere else in the world. Wow, so you can identify. I guess you can test gold and know where it comes from, because that's how some recent miners got caught stealing gold from the mine. They... Took oh. it, they took it to California to sell it, but when it was tested, it could tell it was from here. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Cripple Creek really was the real deal, and people were making their fortunes overnight. Where is it in Colorado? Um, it is near Colorado Springs. Okay. It's still a pretty productive gold mining town, wow. even today. The, the red light district in Cripple Creek is called Myers Avenue, and uh, Myers Avenue went from the really posh parlor houses like Pearls that were um, on one end of the street, and then as it went down, there were smaller ones, and then the cribs, and then as it goes down into Poverty Gulch, which is the, the valley at the end, that would be where the black women would be practicing their craft. In Poverty Gulch. Poverty Gulch. So Pearl had a really grand vision for her business. She did not want this to just be any parlor house. This was posh, selective, extremely luxurious. The men who came to this parlor house had the ultimate experience in everything. She went all out and it worked. Only the wealthiest, most well-connected, respectable gentlemen were allowed in her establishment. She was the madam of this house, but she did take men on as as Johns or Tricks, however you want to say it. But she was very picky, only took the richest, most prominent ones. A man to visit this house had to give an application anyway, and he was approved uh, both for being able to afford it and of being a good character. They wouldn't let riffraff in this house. 
There, there was a literal application? Oh, yes. They had oh. to write a letter of application. Uh, <laughs> Pearl was an amazing businesswoman, first off. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's such, I mean, just from a marketing perspective, right. yeah. suddenly you're asking permission. Right. <laughs> yeah, you had to get permission to make an appointment to come see Pearl's house. Wow. Um, after that, Pearl unfortunately didn't get to enjoy her house very long as, as she died June 5th of 1897. You had to submit an application wow. to come to her parlor house in advance, weeks in advance. You have to send a letter of application. You have to send your bank statements proving That's that you have lots of money. Incredible. You have to have letters of introduction stating that you are a good person, that you're a gentleman, that you're not a known rogue, that you will be well-behaved. That I mean, wow. These are only the top of society. Bankers, business owners. If you're a hard rock miner who just made a million dollars, you are not getting in. Wow. It's so brilliant to me at every step of the way how clever she is in her marketing. She flips the power dynamic from the minute they walk in the door. They're asking permission. She's made it so clear you are entitled to exactly nothing in this house. We might allow you in. Her girls make $250 a night. Spend the night here was 250 which equals almost $9,000 in today's equivalencies. Well-paid miners are making $3 a day. That's incredible. And that is just the company of a girl. You pay extra for liquor. You pay extra for food. You pay extra to gamble. You pay extra to use the front parlor. She has this beautiful house. It is extraordinarily well-furnished. She's bringing things from Europe. She's got a piano. She has chandeliers. That I mean, it is so beautiful and fashion-forward. She was cutting-edge stuff that she had here and probably picked up from her time in Europe. Yeah. So at every step, she makes sure that every detail is to her advantage. The marketing that she comes up with is amazing. Just this process of, please pick me. If you get to visit, you are one of the special chosen ones. And it becomes a marker of social standing. Mm -hmm. And so she immediately makes her front parlors the best place to do business. Any man in this room has been pre-screened for you. Ah. You know they're wealthy. You know they have access to all the best people. She has curated these men to give herself this huge store of power. Yeah. Wow. So presumably, I guess, if you if you think you're somebody, you might apply just to see what yeah, happens. Am I, could I get in? Yeah, she has made herself the arbiter of society. Yeah. A madam of a brothel in Cripple Creek, Colorado is deciding who's in and who's out. Yeah. It's just astonishing. It's so brilliant. And she continues to trade on those things. She makes sure that she decides what is sophisticated. She is always perfectly dressed. She's wearing really extravagantly expensive clothes from Europe. And men are buying her these clothes. She is just constantly reinforcing how important she is. Pearl had black stallion that she rode, but she also had a team of black horses that pulled her carriage around town. Mm. The girls were not to go up on Bennett any day but Monday morning, but I <laughs> kind of suspect Pearl broke that rule more than once. Right. So there was like a city schedule? No girl. Yeah, the girls of Myers Avenue were only allowed to go uptown on Monday morning from 8 to 11. That's when the good ladies were doing their laundry. <laughs> 
It's still on the book, so I can't go up town today. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, how fascinating. So she seems to have sort of enjoyed that no dry. I mean, again, brilliant yeah. marketing. Yeah. Great horse riding around in your $20,000 dress. To be, you know, fabulously dressed. Yeah. Um, had the finest clothes. And, and, of course, the girls of this house were expected to dress accordingly. This house, Pearl and her girls, dressed in gowns. They didn't dress in what you see pictures of fine right. women. women. Right. They, they didn't do that here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, I mean, the girls could go across the street to the opera house, so they had to know how to handle themselves mm-hmm. and be elegant. Right. So you're allowed in the opera house, but not on Main Street. Well, it was on Myers Avenue, so how could they keep them in? Right, exactly. <laughs> I think there's a funny fact that there was five city blocks and just to the west of us on 3rd Street, the name changes to Masonic. And that's because the good ladies didn't want to live didn't. on Myers, <laughs> you know, so they changed the name. The Opera House is actually the center of Cripple Creek society is across the street from Pearl's Parlor House. Wow. So all of the posh women have to come to Myers Avenue to the opera and the girls can go to the opera. So they are mixing with the high society types at the opera, much to the disgust of the women of town. (laughs) So one of the things that I was really struck with doing this research about her is that there's this myth of madams in the West that makes them the conscience of the town. They're the hooker with a heart of gold, right? They're the good woman who is watching out for poor people and she's standing up for the miners and she's helping the children and she's feeding the poor. Yeah. And that she is this really sort of important functionary in the operating of any of these towns. Yeah. And in this case, it's absolutely true. And I really did not expect that. And as I'm doing research into other madams in this time, it really seems to be a story that is true, that these women were filling holes in the social services of the time when there was nothing. If your husband is killed in a mine accident, you're just dead. You know, unless your family's willing to bring you home or whatever, you just are out. You have nothing. You probably have nowhere to live because it's company town. And Pearl really was jumping in and helping these women. She would make sure that these miners' wives and children would be able to get back to their people, or she is taking in people who need some place to be. She's giving large amounts of money to the church. She really? is running soup kitchens. She is functioning as the social services of the town. And so she was an outsider. She was not allowed, literally not allowed, on Bennett Avenue except for a certain time of day. She's not getting invited to functions, but she is a hugely important member of Cripple Creek society. She is as important as most of the government officials or the people making the decisions for the town. She has a huge amount of sway over what's happening and who is being taken care of and how people are being treated. Mm. I think probably in the back of their minds, they appreciated her, but they would have never said that in public and they would have never acknowledged her in public. But you can find from some of the old writings that she was really known who she was, often, like I said earlier, described as this striking woman. And I'm sure some of the miners' wives who she helped uh, loved her and definitely some of the miners did. But as a general overall, did the town accept her? No. Is she an absolute legend in this town today and everybody wants to talk? about her? Yes. Right. (laughs) 
But in her lifetime, I don't think she probably had that acceptance. Right. Overall, she wasn't wouldn't have been invited to to attend one of those churches or right. to city council meeting or something. I don't right. believe she's funding the churches, but right. yeah. can't set foot inside. And my understanding is Spencer Penrose. Do you know who that is? I don't. He was one of our first millionaires. He's who later built the Broadmoor. He was a gentleman that came here as best we can tell. And his wife refused to give money to the churches because Pearl had. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seems like the churches would have that's a pretty tricky decision whether to take that money or not. And that they make those kind of calculations. Apparently she was able to donate more to the church than Horace was because, you know, they could have returned Pearl's money and taken his. Yeah. Well, and I had an interesting thing the other day that the priest from the Episcopalian Church showed up the other day wondering if we knew, he said, we've heard that most of the prostitutes were widows. And he said, so why didn't the town take care of the widows? Why did they have to come here? Now, I don't believe most of them were widows. I think most of them were younger runaways, but I can see how a widow may have ended up here. And I know Pearl and some of the other women in town would have taken care of that type of person. And he thought it was really strange that it seemed like the churches and the benevolent societies in this town work. Hmm. And Charlotte doesn't have the information to answer that, but I think that's a very interesting question, and I hope he sits with that uncomfortable question for a while. Why isn't the church helping these women? Mm-hmm. And what is the church doing right now to help women who are in a similar situation and need some help? That that very, very often women are faced with extremely limited options in a crisis situation. And that, of course, for time immemorial, prostitution has one of been, been one of the solutions for women when they are in a crisis. Mm-hmm. But I also think that even if it's not the last desperate right. saving grace, that is an immensely well-paying job. Yeah, and there's no evidence that it is the last yeah. resort, right? Most of these girls seem to have made decisions not been stuck. Yeah, I think in, well, we always have been conflicted about that, but in modern America, we're still very conflicted about that. Mm-hmm. Is that, is, is that wonderfully empowering should we applaud women for making those kinds of choices or is it sad evidence of the situation in america that women have to do that you know oh it's it's yeah it's still one of the major arguments in academic circles how do we respond to sex work yeah do we celebrate the decisions of women to work in sex work Mm -hmm. or their ability to choose that and make a lot of money right yeah uh, the ultimate argument being there is no choice there that, you know, that you can pretend like you're making a choice, but given the variety of other choices, you wouldn't have made that choice. I mean, it's it's a very problematic argument because in the course of the argument, you are infantilizing women. Yeah. And I don't know if there is a correct answer to that. I don't know if there's ever a solution because are there women who consciously choose this? Yeah, probably. Are there a huge majority of women who are pressured into this against their will? Yes. And so how do you balance those arguments? And I just give up on that. I think there's no way that you can decide a hundred years ago what was happening. All I can do is be incredibly impressed at how well she did this job. The way that she empowered herself, literally, that she handed herself the keys to all the decision-making that she owns this building. She is not beholden to a man who owns the building. Mm-hmm. That her her girls, as she called them, were 
incredibly well paid, that they were extremely well treated, at least by her, that by all all the standards and all of the stories about her, that she was a genuinely kind, caring, compassionate person to anyone who was in need or in danger, and mm. that she saw her social capital and then used it in ways that were really impressive and really unusual mm -hmm. for the time when she lived. I wonder if some of the reversal of gender roles that she achieved mm -hmm. was part of the appeal. Like, might have made it oh, yeah. more exciting for men. Any kind of erotic sure, you're entering right. a house of women where women are completely in charge. Right. All of your power is gone. You are no longer the dominant figure. Mm, yeah. And in many ways, that might have been part of the appeal of it. Yeah. She's also just brilliant at understanding the male mind. The men came here, and a lot of them already had their favorite right, girl. girl. But if they didn't, they would tell the madam one or two they were interested in. The viewing room was upstairs. The girls would go up there, get disrobed, so that he could stand at the window, because it's a viewing window, and pick the final selection. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people disagree with me. I don't believe the girls went full nude. I think they were in lingerie. Some other people think they went full nude. Right. But... So it's the girls are in one room, the man is in another through a window? Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, we call, Again, it, we call it window shopping. That's brilliant marketing. We call it window shopping yeah. here. So you send your letter. She responds. You literally make an appointment to arrive. If you it's the, your first time or you're not sure, you would make some selections from the parlor and then head upstairs to the viewing window. And you would stand at the top of the stairs and there's a window inside the house that looks into the bathroom and the girls are inside the room. I mean, it, it's so voyeuristically wonderful. Yeah. Like, what a smart woman. Mm -hmm. And there is also, I'm not clear on exactly how this worked, but there was a bathtub in the viewing room as well. And there were mirrors in the bathtub or in the bathtub area so that if you wanted to, you could also have the experience of just watching from all angles while a girl had a bath. <laughs> and you um, just watch it through. And you, you just, just watch, watch it bathe. through the viewing window. I don't know if this is <laughs> before mm -hmm. an event or its own event. Yeah. Just these extra services that she has figured out. <laughs> And then you've made your decision and you would retire to that girl's room. You would spend the entire night, you'd have dinner, you would drink, you would gamble, you would play some music. Again, all of these are extra. Wow. It's extra for dinner. Russian caviar, French wine, all these things coming in on the train. Again, advertising the big crates of French wine. What are those for? Oh, those are for pearls. Because there were several parlor houses in Cripple Creek, but none were anywhere close to the standards of hers. Wow. So at the height of her fame, Pearl was hosting a party on the behalf of a particularly wealthy patron who was often visiting her. He was throwing a huge party at the brothel for a bunch of people. He had bought her a new dress from France. It's a $600 dress. Again, that's a $20,000 dress. Oh. 
her special gentleman caller, was hosting a party in the house that night, which was very common for rich men to throw a big party in this house. Right. And that they had had an argument, and he got on the train and went to Denver. The party went on without him, because we had they had already gotten uh, caviar from Russia and flowers from Mexico mm-hmm. and, and French champagne. They weren't going to waste that. So the party went on. So she didn't go to bed till probably early, early the morning after the right. argument. And then she woke up... Uh, the mod woke up at 10 o'clock the next morning and found her having difficulty breathing. I read that there was some not very well accepted speculation that she may have killed herself, but oh no, wasn't there's really no any way reason. my pearl killed herself. Right. She wouldn't have killed herself over some man. She just flat wouldn't have done it. That of course maybe that's just because I worked in her house for 22 years <laughs> and I feel that about her. But no, I think she was too much of a businesswoman to had too much going for herself to have killed herself over a man. She used to bug me a lot like there was something she wanted me to know. And finally, one day there was a lady in here who was intuitive. And she looked at me and she goes, do you know that Pearl's death was an accident? And I said, well, I believe so. And she goes, yeah, it wasn't morphine. It was some other drug meant to kill Maud. And that has been confirmed by three other intuitives. And since that time, Pearl seems more relaxed and she doesn't bug me. So do we know who Maud was? Maud was one of the girls, girls. and that's whose room she was sleeping in. So it's very logical that, you know, because all the girls, even women, good women, or if they called themselves, (laughs) I used morphine almost daily because it wasn't a controlled substance back then. And there probably was a bottle of morphine on the side of the bed, so the doctor called it a morphine overdose. But it very easily could have been another drug in that vial that was meant for Maud to get, but Pearl. Yeah. Yeah, sad. So I I don't know what to do with that. I don't know um, I don't know how I feel about getting hung up on that on on whether or not this was an accident or a murder and those who want to believe one thing or another. Mm-hmm. It I is, guess we have that kind of conflict about deaths all the time. You right? Know, that, was it a murder or was it a suicide or was it an accident? In the end, it didn't matter to that person. Yeah. Yeah, so it it was a tragedy either way around. Yeah. It kind of shattered a lot of people's lives because as soon as she died, all of the girls were cleared out of the house. By whom? By the police, it sounds like, um, because they don't own the house. It was this long, protracted battle because everyone assumed that Pearl was really wealthy, but she had spent all of her money to rebuild the house after the fire. And to refurnish the house in a really extravagant style. So when she died, she actually had almost no money. Wow. And, you know, if she had been able to continue on for a few more years, she probably would have been very wealthy. But it becomes this really complicated legal battle. All the girls were moved out of here immediately on Pearl's death. Mm. They weren't allowed to stay here, so they probably scattered to some other homes or other towns. So what, what happened to the house after Pearl died? Well, it took quite a while, actually, to have a settlement on the house because she had no will. Her sister came from Indiana to claim her body and discovered she was a prostitute and refused to take it. Right, because she thought she was a dressmaker. Uh, no, a hat maker. A hat maker, yes. Uh, Pearl had written home and told him she made hats at a millinery shop here in Cripple Creek. So when the sister got here and it said right on her death certificate she was a prostitute, she <laughs> refused any of things. And supposedly when she was taken to the mortuary, she had dyed red hair, and the mortician tried to get the red out, make her more acceptable for her family. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I guess it turned pink. which would Well, that was her favorite color. color. So it was okay. 
was quite a long probate situation, and the house was finally sold at sheriff's auction, And but it went to a woman that Pearl had borrowed money from. And I believe she borrowed money from this woman to build the house. So it went to that woman who lived in New York. I'm still trying to figure out what the connection is there. That woman turned around and sold it to a man the next day, who then sold it to Hazel Vernon, who was our second madam and the longest reigning madam of this house. I didn't realize that, so there was another another woman took over. Yeah, we actually, I think, had four madams. Um, Pearl was first, and then Hazel bought the house after Pearl's death, and she was here about eight years. And then the next owner we show was actually the woman who was Hazel's housekeeper. Um, so I know, I'm pretty sure she wasn't a working madam, um, right. because she's not a very attractive woman. So. Mm. And did the reputation of the house go down? Oh, no, no. Hazel ran it the same way. Hazel, Hazel's often referred to as the best prostitute in Cripple Creek ever had. Now, I believe Pearl probably would have been, but she just wasn't here as long. Right. You know, unfortunately. I know. So after she died, I know that you mentioned she didn't have a lot of money, and I know she was wearing a really expensive dress that day. The story is, the official story was the gentleman had brought her a $600 Parisian gown. You know, the sister rejected her, so the girls of this street and some of the hard rock miners she had helped started planning her funeral, but they didn't have the money. Talked mm-hmm. about selling that beautiful gown, but fortunately, they didn't have to because a check of a thousand dollars and a note requesting she be buried in that gown was brought to the mortuary from the same. We believe gentleman. it to be from the same gentleman. You know, we don't have we don't have his signature. Her. It was anonymous, right. but you know, no one else would be. The logical reason right. thing would be that it was him. This town had to put a, a cement slab over her grave back in the 60s because the rumor was there was gold thread. Not golden thread, but gold, gold thread, thread in this dress. So people were trying to dig it up. So oh. Gold, but, uh, oh. Yeah, I, you know, that was probably just a rumor. I right. can't imagine them sewing yeah. a dress with gold. But might have made it was not expensive. Yeah. yeah. Her funeral is maybe the most well-remembered event in Cripple Creek history. Of course, she was buried in that dress, that beautiful pink dress. Pink was her favorite color, but she had a a lavender coffin, which was pretty unusual for Mm. the time. Lots and lots and lots of pink flowers, I'm told. There was every lady from this street and hundreds of the miners marched with her to the cemetery. But she also had the 40-piece Elks Brass brand (laughs) and four mounted police escorted her to the cemetery. And the crowds are on the street, even women. Some people say the women were there cheering because she was she was gone. dead. <laughs> Others, I think more, it was more curiosity. Right. They heard it was going to be a big to-do, so they wanted to be there. But yeah, she is the only prostitute that's buried in our regular cemetery with a headstone. Right, in a in a church cemetery, kind of. Yeah, most of the other girls are buried, you know, up in the pauper's area with no right. markings or even outside the fence. Right. So, so she's got a very pretty prominent, and the town... She, like I said, she's such a legend. The town bought her a new headstone in the 60s. Mm. Uh, her regular, he- her original headstone is up at the other museum. But yeah, it was quite a, quite an affair. Her black stallion pulled her carriage down the street with the seat filled with pink flowers. Mm. It, it, and he went down the street prior to her, her casket. 
the band played all the appropriate music, we're told, up the hill, um, mm. including goodbye, little girl, goodbye. But mm. as they turned for home, the girls started singing and the band started playing It'll Be Hot Time in the Old Town Tonight, <laughs> which Pearl would have loved. That song was written here on the street by a black cook. Um, if you look in history books, it said it was written by a man out in New York. Mm. That's not true. We have proof that it was written by a black wow. cook here. And it was sang every night to open up the street, to welcome people to the street. So, so she would have liked it. When you hear that the preaching does begin, bend down low for to drive away your sin. And when you get religion, how you want to shout and sing, there'll be a hot time in the old time. So if there if there really was such a parade and such an event, that seems a testament to how she really was helping, you know, the masses or the the yeah. downtrodden. If all the folks were coming out for this big event, the common folks, presumably, right? The people who who will never know her, who will never probably even get to talk to her, really mourn her death because of the ways she was indirectly helping them. Yeah, and and I think there seems to be in people's remembrances about her, she seems to have inspired this kind of idol worship of passionate love from people who only saw her from far away. There's this beautiful story from a little girl who saw her once across the street and like locked eyes with her once. And she describes this feeling of like being utterly thrilled and amazed and delighted and that from that point on Pearl Devere was her idol. She calls her the focus of her fantasies, meaning like I could be like her. That she just hero worshipped her. She used to sneak out of the house to go and just watch her ride her horse down the street or see what she was wearing or just watch her in a way that seems like they're witnessing some sort of divine something. Mm. And that she seems to be now still sort of inspiring that same sort of relationship, that same sort of feeling from the women who run this museum from the people who are researching her life, that she was the kind of person who just that like everyone of, fell in love with her. With a kind of reverence. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then also fun loving and delightful and ready to have a hot time in the old town tonight played at her funeral. Yeah. Thank you to Charlotte Bumgardner and the old Homestead House Museum. Music for this episode has been provided by the Earth String Band, the New Hot Five, Amanda Setlick Wilson, Daniel Henderson, and Half Pelican. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Smith. On our website, you can find photos, links, more information about the bands and performers, and books and resources if you'd like to dig deeper into the story of Pearl DeVere. If you'd like to support more episodes of the podcast, visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com and click on Donate. This episode was edited by Olivia Mickle, and What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs>